Welcome back to the Sim Geeks podcast. We uh, decided we're going to jump in this week into planning for mass casualty simulation. But first, David, what do you got going on, man? Oh, just been busy, busy. I'm still acclimating to the new job, uh, getting through traffic in Cincinnati, which is doubling my my drive time, but it's good. I'm uh, having a heck of a lot of fun in the new place and uh, trying to get back in my uh, own shop, making things and working on things and got a contract coming for new suture pads. What do you got going on? Where you at? So, where, where, where are you at? Uh, so right you now, stop. Yeah, right now I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I got here today, and I will be here for the next four or five days before I head back home. Uh, so got to run some cadaver labs down here. Do we're doing kind of a combination lab where it's uh, it's an eight hour day for the students, well, and for us as well. But the first first four hours a day, they're in the cadaver lab, do surgical skills, and the second half of the day, we take a break for lunch and come back in, and they do a mechanical ventilation, airway management type lab. And so it is a, it's a long day, four days in a row. I think we're going to run, I want to say it's uh, 96 students over the four, course of four days. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty busy week. Uh, finally getting settled into the new house, got the shop started getting set up. You saw that the other night. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I was dealing with out there, freezing to death, but jealousy, the, uh, even freezing, I don't have the room, so I'm completely jealous. So hopefully I can get, uh, you know, permits and plans and all that and i can build my garage and i will have a domain myself yeah i'm pretty stoked about this setup i I have three separate work areas in this new house which is unusual for me but one of them is my my office slash guest room which i work from home a lot of times when i'm not traveling so i have to have an office in the house that is heated and then there's a uh, kind of a detached workshop behind the garage that's where the 3d printer is that's where the airbrush and all this stuff is going to be at uh, and then as far as being able to work with it and then in the garage as well, I've got another workspace. I'm kind of stoked about that. You are getting bit by the bug, aren't you? I know. I will always make up bug, the makeup bug. It's, it, it's funny how it, it starts with one thing. You know, it's like they say with tattoos, you, you start with one thing and then it gets to be more and more and more. So, but, uh, Educationally speaking, we also were talking about uh, being at different conferences. So we're actually trying to plan on a few of the uh, conferences that uh, will be, hopefully, our, some of our viewers will be there as well. So stay tuned for information on that as that goes along. We've submitted to pretty much almost every one of them and uh, even a couple of non-simulation related ones that we're thinking about going to, which uh, I'm kind of excited about. But uh, that's what I've got going on. Anything else you've got going on? Not really, man. I got a couple trips planned over the next few weeks, and we'll probably be talking about those while I'm on those trips somewhere. We tend to do a lot of recording while I'm in hotel rooms. Uh, if we yeah, can find good internet. Yep, I've been putting together a few <laughs> proposals and through other things. We threw out a couple combined talks, et cetera, workshops that we're trying to pull off. I've got a few others that are clinically based where I'm actually doing medical stuff um, coming up all the way as far out as January of next year. So same thing. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into this. So we're talking about planning for mass casualty simulation this is definitely something that you've got more experience with. I've, you know, I've done a bit of it in a few different areas and we'll talk about that when we get to it, but why don't we just let you lead off with kind of what you wanted to accomplish today and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So first off, I just want to say that actually most of what I'm going to be talking about is just things that I've been lucky to work with some amazing people. And I, I just think some of their takes on things and some of the experiences that I've had and I've been fortunate enough to be involved with um, are just worth sharing out to people. And definitely a nod to uh, a gentleman named Dave Gershner, that would be Dayton, Ohio Fire Department, as well as he's 
the head of the Dayton, and I'm always messing this up. It's the Dayton MMRS, which is the um, medical response team in the area and the oversight for that. And I've been very, very lucky to work with somebody so you know intelligent and uh, accepting of some interesting concepts. But uh, I guess you know some of it starts with you know he has these grandiose plans for large scale mass casualty events. And I mean, everybody has them. And, and sometimes you can take them just so far. And, um, you know, I had a great class I was with, um, I was in at IMSH. And, you know, everybody tends to say, start with these things. And I'm going to plan a mass casualty event. All right, well, what's it going to be? Well, it's going to be a disaster. And then um, we want to make a collapse. And then we're going to add zombies and then we're going to do, you know, and that's kind of one of my things is that, you know, it doesn't have to be the most gigantic um, mass casualty to, to be effective. You know, you need to scale it to what you're trying to accomplish and keep it simple, stupid, the KISS methodology. Um, I don't know about you out near where you're dealing with, but around here, the big thing now is outlying uh, freestanding ERs and, it's a hub method. So what I thought about is, okay, you've got a free standing dock in a box and or ER and you've got one ER dock and that's it. And we're going to say that a national, you know, disaster happened in the area and you know, what would happen to that ER in a box? Well, they would get distributed. What? Four, five patients mainly to a 10 bed ER. Well, then on top of that, what else would happen? Well, you're going to have law enforcement that's not in the sorting process. That's probably going to dump off a couple more. Then you're going to have civilians dropping people off. And it's very easily, you're going to get 12 patients with one doc, limited nursing staff. That isn't a mass casualty event. So, you know, when I, whenever I talk about MCIs, that's one of the big things I go is you don't have to go crazy on it. So I don't know what your experiences have been. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest things you got to worry about anytime we're trying to plan for mass casualty simulation is just remembering that not every mass casualty is Hurricane Katrina, right? Where we have thousands upon thousands of people that need to be taken care of. Definition of mass casualty is simply that it's overloading the system for what it can handle at the moment. And so if you're trying to do mass casualty training, like you said, with a small hospital, so let's say we're, and I'll use rural Wyoming, right? I got a town in Wyoming, there's 3000 people there. The ER has four or five beds in it. There's maybe two ambulances in the entire county, three if you're lucky. Four patients can overload that system. And that is a mass casualty for those people. They have to go through triage process. Now, when we think mass casualty, we don't think four. We usually think in terms of tens or dozens of patients. But remembering that that also, anything that's going to overload the system, anything that's going to put a strain on that system and could test its abilities, that's really what I'm looking for. I want to know how are we going to respond to it not only in the ambulance, yeah, it's great. We can show up and we can throw tags on everybody and we know whether they're red, green, black, et cetera. But what do I do with them now? And if I'm going to take them to the hospital, how are we as an EMS agency going to work with the hospital? How are we going to work with neighboring EMS agencies to get rid of the patients the hospital can't keep or that we know need to skip over the hospital and go to a higher level of care, et cetera, et cetera. And so with a, with a true mass casualty incident for us, yeah, okay, maybe it's eight or nine patients, but also comes into play of who goes where, how are we going to get them there? Do we need air support? Do we not need air support? Because by the time the helicopter gets here, we could have driven where we're supposed to be. All of those logistical things, if you will, play into it just as much as the patient portion does, just as much as the actual care 
is the planning situation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So the other thing about making a small mass casualty, because that's what some, you know, what you call it is you can do it more times in a year. It's easier to plan and, you know, it's, you can test things, you know, much more often and much, much easier. So around us, Dave Gershner and the Dayton MMRS, they do large scale. Now that's very, you know, arbitrary to say, but so he does large scale mass casualty incidents. So we're saying bomb, we're saying shooter, we're saying, you know, anything that is, you know, accurate. And he's doing it from law enforcement contact all the way through triage, transport. He has players of hospitals. It goes through the ER, through radiology, through to surgery. And that takes, and it is, but you can only do something that large once or twice. You know, he's been able to pull it off a few times a year just because he's been doing it and because of some of the, you know, lessons we were able to learn. One of the things that him and um, Phil Smith and a lot of Diggershner's interns and team members, they came up with a basically a patient pool. And it's just a large spreadsheet that has every detail you can possibly have on it. And they made this spreadsheet six months before they even considered to start working on a mass casualty event. So what is on this? Patient name, vitals, patient details, the injuries, what color triage they would be, and then the trending vitals. So it's a big spreadsheet, but they ended up coming up with 250 patients. And so we've never done an event where they've been able to pull 250, you know, victims at one time successfully. We've, we've planned for it, but it's hard to get that many victims together. But what's great about that is you can say at this event, this is how large scale we want it. We've had some events where we simply pull 10 from that for blues, for greens. And, and we're able to, because we have this large pool of patients, we can pull from that. And then if 10 more show up, all we do is go back and add, you know, whatever we, we scale up because they will say a percentage of red, a percentage of black, a percentage of this. And all we do is grab from that patient pool and try to match it up with whoever is, uh, you know, the victims. You know, we always want to have a pregnant female, but if no pregnant females show up and you really can't, you know, and all guys show up, you're not going to fake it like that. That spreadsheet is, is just absolutely amazing. You need to plan ahead for it way further than you think. You don't want to be a gunslinger. And, and we've all worked these events. We've all done these events where it's like, oh, we need a this and a that and this. You want to plan. You want a time shift because that, that takes time and it's messy. So you want to you know, make your spreadsheet and start building it as early as you can and then learn from it. So you want to have a debrief, just like in simulation, of how this event went at the different levels and planning is a big one. Um, another thing that uh, was really unique and I have not seen anybody else do this and I'm really curious if anybody else does this, let me know because I want to know how you do this. So um, somebody I used to work with at my last shop, David Chirolis and Dave Gershner got together and they made regional moulage kits. So, you know, Gershner decided he was like, you know, how am I going to get artists that are interested and wanting to do this. And so he ended up having um, Chirolis make training classes. They would hold a class and they would train on what was in the moulage kit. So what they would do is they got together, they bought a whole bunch of supplies, they put it in a kit. It was not a pre-built kit. They went through, you know, what was good, what was bad, and what was, you know, what would work. So, and they built it 
to scale up to anybody's experience. So like I teach about the Simulabs Velcro on wounds. And again, Chirolas came up with the idea of co-banding those on to make them stay and then cutting open the wound a little bit, adding the blood and go. Anybody, you can teach literally a five-year-old to do that. And it's awesome. Uh, all the way up to more advanced tricks. And then they'd hold classes on that free of charge. And that would put you in the list. So that did two things. One, it gave regional kits that anybody in law enforcement, anybody in EMS, fire, medicine, in the area, they can check these out for free, use them for their events, get good at it, get experience with it. And then hopefully, you know, he has email list out to when these big events happen, come help us out. And it was really, really a smart thing to do. Um, so you're, you're talking about this patient spreadsheet and having 250 patients. I think it's brilliant. Yep. So on top of saying, hey, here's the potential for a 250 person mass casualty, which let's be real, that's insane. Oh, totally. Even in the biggest of cities, it's A, it's unlikely, but B, it's very, very difficult to coordinate 250 different people. However, how I look at this is I've got 250 people saying in an Airtable or in an Excel spreadsheet, and to be able to randomly generate numbers to create my injuries for that scenario is way, way, way more important to me than the number of people I'm using. So that if I do run a mass casualty simulation, say we do it, like you said, two to three times a year, I'm not running the same damn people with the same injuries through every time. I now just randomize and say, look, I need, I have 78 volunteers. Here's 78 injuries go. Uh, And then, you know, we're talking about knowing in your area who those artists are. You're talking about people can come in and get free training. And then we, all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of artists and we, you know, we lose that, use that term a little loosely. Yeah. Artists to us is anyone who's willing to show up and learn something and actually put the effort in. And we've all seen. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll go over that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I and I, I, I have we're to be go careful over not to offend. No, be very careful not to offend people. But we've all dealt with being part of an event and showing up, and there's some moulage expert, right? Or some. Oh, we have this guy. He does all our moulage, and it's the worst you've ever seen. But that's their guy, and so you have to play by their rules, and you kind of have to deal with it. And so my my thing for this is, anytime we're looking to do a mass casualty. A, I need SPs. I need actors in order to pull this off. Uh, and, and that can be EMT students. Those are usually a good resource. The other thing that I've had luck with in the past, drama clubs, whether that's college yep. or high school, the drama department, you've got people that want to act. They don't have to know a damn thing about medicine. And you also have fledgling makeup artists. You have people that have yep. done stage makeup for their high school production of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and then it's like, okay, we can take that and teach you a little bit and move you just, Hey, this, you need glue this on, throw a little blood on it. It doesn't have to look perfect. We're going to do 250 to these, you know, or, or even 40. I'm not spending yeah. an hour of patience and makeup. I'm going to spend three, yeah. four, five minutes, move on to the yep. next one. And so perfect. make sure you're using those resources that are a free, which is awesome. And B, you get people that are actually excited to be involved. They're not being told you have to go do this because they're not someone's employees. It's like, Hey, come be involved. You can throw this on your resume when you go do something different. And so make sure you're kind of tapping those local resources. And then I, the last thing you, you mentioned is these moulage kits that you guys have regionally. Yes. And I think that the most important part of that too is like you said, doing some free training, which is great, but specifically to what you're carrying for each of these events. Yep. You, can, you can get online and you can go look at some really awesome makeup schools and spend a few hundred bucks doing something like Stan Winston or you know, a few thousand dollars doing the Dick Smith courses. Right. But it's a bunch of stuff. It's wonderful. I absolutely. But for this given thing that we're working on, 
you're going to show up and you're not going to be handed $15,000 kits, right? You're not going to have everything you could ever want. You're likely going to be given the general basics and you're going to have to know how to use them. And so coming in and learning just the basics of how do I Velcro on this wound? How do I glue on an appliance with spirit gum? And I hate spirit gum, but you know, that's what <laughs> most people tend to have on hand. And we'll talk about that too, I'm sure. But oh yeah, that, that training being specific to what you have available you right, right then is way more important than do I know how to put on an appliance, you know, and make it look like it's movie quality. Cause I don't give a shit about movie quality makeup in a mass casualty situation. Nope. 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 Um, one other thing that came out of, I'm glad you brought us back to the spreadsheet. So I'm gonna go back to that real quick. So one thing that I thought was really neat that came out of the whole spreadsheet was, okay, first they got their, you know, baseline patients down. And then one of our local PA, Steve Odner, um, started expanding upon that. And he would take the injuries and he would get randomized x-rays, CTs, start building labs he would scan those documents, attach it to the Excel spreadsheet. So then when we pull that, you're getting even more data. So once you've got the base down, you can really do that. And the nice thing is, as the artist, I was able to actually go and say, oh, you have an impalement of a nail through the eye. You have the x-ray, you have the patient workup. Now I'm gonna build a piece, a moulage piece that is a nail in the eye that I can then quickly stick on somebody. And it really, I mean, it, it just makes it a great, great event and a great opportunity and you're not winging it. This isn't Wild West. Always something stuck in somebody's eye. I don't know why everybody oh, wants yeah. to do that, but there's always yeah. something stuck in an eyeball. And as you were alluding to is know your resources. Know what works, know what doesn't, because I've had great drama, you know, people like you said. I've also had the ones that really want to go for the Oscar and that really want to make it complicated. And some of it is fun, but you got to pull yourself out of that, okay, this is fun to mess with them and go, is it sound? Does it make sense? Or is it too much? Because the minute you make it too much, it's like, you know, we've talked about hyperrealism. I've actually had things that are so real that the person it pulls, having it so real that you're trying to pull them in, it actually pulls them out so far that they're like exclaiming about, oh my God, that looks so real. Okay. Well, you're not in the moment like you're supposed to, like I was building this for. It's that uncanny valley situation. Yeah. Right, where it yep. tries so hard to make it look real that the brain doesn't allow us to believe it's real anymore. It's better to have it look a little bit fake and kind of be in the moment than to be so focused on that that it pulls you completely out of the simulation. So you had uh, so, brought that up to me in a conversation about the uncanny valley. Explain that a little bit because I thought that was a really neat, you know, it just go, go big on that a little bit more. Yeah, so basically, I mean, it, it's exactly what I just said. So it's, it's basically a, a relationship between something being so realistic and the emotional response that you have to that. And so the idea is we need to make something real enough that we can work with it. But when we try so hard to make it real, every little thing that isn't real about it really stands out and it pulls us out of the simulation. And so yep. video games, right? You, you've got a character mm -hmm. that looks like a human and looks exactly like you're watching TV. And then every little nuance about it that doesn't seem exactly like it should be. Maybe one emotion is off or facial expressions off. That screws me up so much more than if it was just a lower resolution image or even a, a lower fidelity image, if you will, that, okay, now I expect it to be a little bit off because I'm looking at a computer game or I'm looking at a yeah. cartoon. Uh, and so basically it's just that, that relationship between trying to get so close to real that everything pulls me out of the simulation versus saying, you know what? It's okay that something doesn't look perfect and doesn't have to be 100% all the time because I'm still in there. I'm still communicating. I'm going through the process. 
So yep. uh, real quick, and again, we're bouncing around way more than I like to do, but you mentioned know, X-ray, you mentioned CT. That is that is one of the hardest things that I have finding for any situation oh, yeah. in general is finding an X-ray or CT around something I'm trying to build. And what I've learned yeah. is sometimes it's easier for me to rework the scenario around the X-ray or the CT that I can find rather than continue digging forever looking for a specific film. So they say, so, you know, tib, fib, spiral fracture, whatever. And I'm having a hard time finding a film that's exactly what I want. Go back to the damn scenario and just change the description of the injury to match yep. the CT you have. As long as it's all, the mechanism's the same, everything else plays out. That's something you're going to have here. We're talking, again, yours is way overboard, but spreadsheet of 250 people. And I need films mm. for, let's say, 110 of them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to modify some things to get all those films. I'm probably going to totally. have the same damn film for multiple patients and just yeah. change the story about how it happened. Uh, labs, not so much. Labs are easy. Those of us that, you know, especially work with labs or train in labs, I can sit down and I can write labs for just about any scenario. And I'm not saying I'm great at it. Like I will, I will use a resource. I'll go back and say, okay, if I have this condition, what should I be looking for in the labs? I mean, you consult Dr. Google. Yeah, oh, oh, hell yeah. yeah Google <laughs> or any one of the 4,000, you know, critical care pocket references or textbooks. But it's one of those, look at the, you know what normal is. We all know what normal is. We know the big ones that get thrown off. But when we start talking about, especially medical conditions, you get these little nuances you have to look for. Those are the ones I'm like, I'm going to go look this up and make sure yep. that I hit these labs. Because in my world, we do a lot of testing, right? It's a lot of, it's, it's summative, it's OSCEs. And so by doing that, if I screw up the labs on a scenario, my clinicians will catch it. They're damn good at what they do. And then it throws the whole scenario off because they're going to go down treating whatever they're finding. And it's because I screwed something up. I actually derailed them. Is that kind of like the uncanny Valley for labs? Yeah. Except for the opposite. So, well, I mean, you've made it so real, so real that when you make something that ain't right, you know, cause we always talk about what ain't right. You may not know what's wrong, but you need to know what ain't right. Yep. And uh, you know, it's so off that they nail you on it and boy, they will get you. So, so, you know, right. we, we talked about, you know, you're talking about the, these massive ones that you're doing, but you know, and we talked earlier too, and we saying, look, this could be four patients. It could be yep. five, depending on where I'm at. So one of the things that I think is a really cool mass casualty program that I've had a hand in in the past is the every 15 minutes program. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but basically it's the idea that about every 15 minutes, a high school kid's killed in a drunk driving accident. Yep. So, and give or take, don't quote me on that. There is an actual company that does this. Um, but we would do these programs where we would go out to high schools and we would set up a mock scene in a parking lot or in the street next to the high school, moulage them up. There'd be dead kids somewhere. And then we would either come with the ambulance or even the helicopter. I've flown yep. fake patients out. We just basically fly them across town and set them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that is a great way to get your skills and your planning for mass casualty simulations kind of dialed in is mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm going to work with a local high school where A, I have a drama club, I have some fledgling makeup artists, and I'm going to work with that drama club to do something great for the school. But in reality, what you're doing is you're building your process. You know, yep. there you go. and then you find out it doesn't work, and your audience was a bunch of 15-year-olds, so it's fine. And then you go, okay, well, when I do this for a local EMS, or I do it for a hospital, or hopefully both at the same time, now I know this, this, and this did not work, but we were damn good at this, so this stays. And so definitely use these things. Plus you're, I mean, you're, you're doing a service for the community if you're doing you know, these programs. So it's a good idea. And, and the key is build, build, build. I don't want you to sit down and make a 250 patient, patient um, Excel spreadsheet. You'll go crazy. Start with 10. But the biggest thing is build each time, add, 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 and expand. And then like you said, find a good way that's easy to test 
see if it works. If it doesn't, no harm, no foul. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is something I came up with, um, and, I, and I talk about it a lot. Um, it's the 80-15-5 rule. And it touches on some of the things you've talked about as far as, you know, when we go to these events, you know, you will meet people that really want to do moulage, but they have other jobs and they can't do it as much as we do, or they used to do it and they don't now, or they just have the, you know, the intent. And so you get all manner of experience level of moulage artists. And if you are one of the higher acuity artists, you know, you tend to be looked at as the higher, you know, the person in charge. And so really what you have to do is you have to look at your patients and you have to look at your makeup artists in this 80-15-5. And really all it's doing is we do all of this already. It's just assigning a framework to think about. So 80% of your patients in a mass casualty and it are splash and dash, you're going to spend three minutes on them five is crazy and you're going to do cuts bruises quick laceration you might do a velcro on injury if it's really but probably not you're not going to do prosthetics it's going to be three to five minutes splash dash go and then 15 percent of the people you're going to spend twice as much time on this is where you do a more you know velcro on or you start doing prosthetics and then the five percent are the ones that if you're the one that you know loves this and breathes it you're going to be spending the most time on that patient. That's going to be the 5% are the people that are taking pictures to promote future events. These are the ones you want taking the pictures of. Or if there are you know, people that have funded this and or will be funding and giving money, you want them to be seen. Uh, they also have the more uh, complicated learning objectives is really what it is. Because remember, we talk about is the only thing that matters is the learning objectives. So, what I do is I try to, before the event, break down my list in my mind of 80-15-5. So 80%, you know, simple, 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 it goes there. Then the day of the event, I look at the same thing, but I look at my artists in that way. So I'm going to have 80% of my artists are, yeah, I did this a year ago with you, and I can, you know, I really like this, but I haven't picked it up, and I haven't touched it in a year. Great. Here's how to do a quick cut. Here's how to do a quick bruise. Here's how to do a quick this. As a quick reminder, go. And then 15% are going to be the, yes, I've done this a few times a year, or I'm really into Halloween and I love this stuff. Uh, or, you know, you know, if they're really, really good, get somebody to help you with that 5%. So if I ever talk about the 80-15-5, it's just a way of looking at your patients and the artists that you will, you know, have coming with you. Uh, just a way of sorting them and uh, marrying them up. It, it just has always made sense to me. I know we're all capable of doing math, but just to kind of put this into perspective, in a massive situation, I mean, 20 patients really is a big scenario to manage. Big. We're literally talking about one. There's one patient yep. that falls into that 5%. And so, like I said, I'm not, not trying to insult anybody. I know we all can do math, but we, when you're building these scenarios, it has to be smooth, it has to be fluent, and it has to be quick because... We need to set them up usually and tear them down in the same day. It's not movie makeup. They're not going to wear it all night. It's just come up, run the scenario, maybe run it twice, depending on what you're doing. Usually mass casualty, it's one and done. And then clean them all off. If you're using prosthetics or you're using even just simple like latex glue-ons, you have to collect those things back as well. So the more you put out there, the harder it is to get everything back and get those people cleaned up. All of that plays into this 80% of them is just simple, man. Just get in there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, cream makeups are great. You can do bruising and quick lacerations. It doesn't have to be super appealing in appearance. 
it just has to be easy. Meet um, a learning objective. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about a few other things too. If we've done, uh, and you know, my, one of my hobbies is I try to be involved in as many sim competitions as I can. And so uh, whether that is the big one, which we do at AMCC every year, or, you know, re more recently, the last couple of years, I've been working with a couple of guys working on a, a trauma conference that's in Wyoming every year as well. With the scenarios that we've done there, we did have a triage mass casualty and it was geared more towards EMTs and basic level paramedics more than our normal clientele, uh, which for me is, is flight nurses, flight paramedics for use physicians. Uh, and so with that, we did, like I said, triage kind of mass casualty. I think it was seven or eight patients that we did for the Wyoming trauma conference. We spent a little more time on those uh, just simply because it was a competition, right? They're, they're only going to be seen four or five times and we are running it over and over again. It's not being transported. And there were going to be pictures and there were going to be people talking about it. So you'll spend more time. Exactly. And the same thing with the SIM cup. So we really didn't have a whole lot of crazy this year. I guess we did have a couple, but we'll end up with scenarios where at one time we expect two clinicians on stage to be treating seven or eight patients. It has nothing to do with what they would be finding themselves in in the real world as much as stressing out as much as we can, basically pushing their limits to see how they handle that situation. But again, those patients are on a stage. They're in front of it. Sometimes, you know, a hundred plus people watching, then we're going to worry about doing a little bit more. And, and luckily, like I said, I work with a hell of a team that goes out there. So I, I am not doing most of the moulage in that situation. My job is usually wiring and running computers, et cetera. Uh, but when we are there, it's, it's a team effort to make sure those look as good as we can. Yep. Good points. All good points. So um, that is the sus of it. What else do you have about this? What are your, any additional thoughts? You know, not really. I mean, this is, uh, it's just basic information, right? Just gathering what you can, make sure you're planning well in advance. This isn't something you call me on a Thursday night and say, Hey, on Saturday, I need to run a mass casualty. Can I yep. pull it off? Probably. Do I want to? Not a chance in hell. Like I'd really rather sit down. And, and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to use of learning objectives. Don't call me on Thursday and say, I want to do this on Saturday and have all this stuff you want to get done. Nope. It's not going to be run well. If you, if you want to do this, this is at a minimum, I need six weeks, eight weeks to yep. plan it out. Know what's going to happen because it's, it's not only the moulage, it's not only finding the people to show up, it's the coordination between the hospital and EMS and any other services too. Mm -hmm. It's not a mass casual scenario. If I'm only using the ambulance service, it's a triage yep. scenario. There's a difference. Yep. Correct. All they're doing is triaging patients in a parking lot. Great. I can do that on Saturday. That's not mm -hmm. a big deal. If you run around a mass casualty and you want to test your system and see how things are working, I need time to plan that communicate because we can't just show up at hospitals with a bunch of fake patients. They're going to be pissed. And so mm -hmm. making sure that we plan everything out, I, I have never gone to the extent that you guys have with a 250 patient spreadsheet, but I wrote that down because that is on my list now to just have kind of a generic spreadsheet. Nothing fancy, no backstories, no. just here's no. what happened to them. Here's their current vitals, red, green, yellow, black, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that brings up one other thing is that uh, medical people are efficient learners. And if we can find a shortcut to the end, we're going to do it. So one of the other things that uh, we learned early on, and again, I didn't come up with this or anything. This was all the, you know, the team was they first started with their training vitals at different timetables and they did trifolds and they said, okay, well, we'll just fold it, staple it, fold it, staple it. And at each staple point are different timetables with vitals and they're not allowed to open it. Well, very efficient learners went, 
ripped the entire thing apart, read to the end of the book and said, okay, the butler did it. This guy needs a chest tube and because he's got a pneumothorax. So one thing that came out of that was we did envelopes and they're color-coded envelopes with timetables on it. Um, and, and these are the things you're going to learn through failure. So embrace your failure. But that was also one thing that I, I wanted to throw in there because I just thought that was so smart. And there's so many times when, you know, we all know we've, we've gotten uh, the high school drama kids and we've ha ha held a card to them. And then we say, here's your patient card. Do not show this to the provider. And they see the paramedic come in and they're like, okay, here, here's my card. And then they're not even touching the patient. And that drives me crazy. See, when we've done these in the past, I have not given them that opportunity. They, they, yeah. they get their information, they rehearse it. The facilitator may be around to kind of help guide that storyline, but we yeah. don't give them something to hold on to and read off of for the exact same reason. Yep. Uh, and then the other thing too, is we go back to your 80, 15, five, the 80 can be my high school drama kids. That five yes. is a clinician. It, whether it's, it could be as simple as an EMT, uh, you know, or if we're talking advanced nurse, hopefully a paramedic or a nurse, but that 5% person, that one that I'm going to completely doll up and I expect them to be, you know, basically go through and be the most high fidelity patient we're going to deal with for the day. That is a clinician so that they, they know even how the to 15. on the fly. And even yeah. the 15, get somebody yeah. again, and that could be your EMTs versus getting, you know, a nurse or a physician in for your five, whatever. But yeah, exactly. I want somebody that if something gets dis, you know, derailed or, and we've all seen this, right? We think we've got oh, all yeah. the answers and then oh, someone yeah. goes a completely different direction and they're not wrong. And so yeah. having a clinician in that seat, love that. Can go with the storyline, that is where, you know, that just adds to the fidelity of the thing. And again, I'm not too concerned about fidelity and mass casualty scenarios, but it does play in a bit. If we're going to have one or two patients that truly go all the way to surgery, those patients need to know how to think on the fly. Yep. And by the way, it's funny. I see people get mad at that when, you know, somebody goes left of center, but they're not wrong. Like you said, um, I love that because I'm like, boy, you were really thinking now, if you're really trying to just, you know, mess with the system and find a shortcut. Okay. No, you're not getting points in my part, but oh man, I love that. When, when somebody pulls out something that totally was not what you were thinking, but they're not wrong. I love that kind of thing. It, it happens awesome. to us and we, we yeah. spend months months yeah. planning yeah. each of our cases every year because of that exact process, right? I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I work with the, some of the brightest minds in the industry. And so these people totally. come in for their exams and you know, you don't think anything of it. And we've run the same scenario 48 times this week. And so I'm like, whatever, I'm running through it again. I get it. I know all the answers. And then I get blindsided by someone. And I think for half a second go, holy shit, they're right. We didn't even think of that. We missed it. Yep. And so in those situations, again, being a clinician as a facilitator, it's like, okay, I can, I can run with this. If I gave somebody a script and said, here's what you need to follow. And then that happened to them, we'd be screwed. That whole scenario would mm -hmm. be derailed. Yep. And so it, it's definitely a risk. The, the higher level your learners, the more advanced they are, the more <laughs> likely that is to happen to you. Amazing. You hire smart people and they do smart things. Exactly. That's why we hired them, right? That's what we exactly. Wanted. All right, man. Well, exactly. I think, uh, I mean, that pretty much wraps this up unless you've got anything else. No, uh, the only thing I say is the same thing I say every time guys, uh, if ladies, we want you to interact with us. Please do me a favor. We, you can find us just about anywhere. You can find uh, social media. We have usually SimGeeks uh, account on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and some other places. But uh, do me a favor, you know, leave us your comments, leave us your question. Let us know uh, what you think and add to it. If you have a thought or something you didn't like or something you said, oh, that'll work or, you know, have a good idea. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Until next time. Have a great time.